everybody. Hi, Pastor David here, and welcome to Take a Knee. Well, I'm reading a story here that I thought you might be interested in, and it will help to illustrate our story and our message today. You know, I've never been out deep swimming in the ocean before. I have done a little bit of scuba diving with a tank and was incredible amount of fun. And in fact, if I could do some scuba diving, I would certainly do it if I could or had the opportunity to. My brothers used to do it. And that's when I scuba dived because they both were certified and they took me out and just had a fantastic time. That is a world, that is an experience that, as I said, I would love to try. But I want to tell you a story about a man named Michael Peckard. And I'm getting this story from all that is interesting.com, just a site that I enjoy going to from time to time. And just, you know, we read a lot of bad news these days, but I love to read interesting news or things that were pretty crazy and, uh, and maybe even turned out to be a good thing. Well, such is the story that comes from this man, Michael Packard. So Michael is a scuba diver and he was out in the open ocean and he was scuba diving and fishing. Well, as he was going along, he felt himself get what he felt like was being attacked by a shark. So he felt a bang against him, a thud, something heavy, and then everything went dark. His initial feeling was that he had been eaten by a shark or that you know he was in shock and that he was dying. And so he says in his testimony here that he began to think of his wife and he began to think of his children and very typical thing that happens to people in near-death experiences, but he still can't figure out exactly what's going on. All of this is happening very, very quickly. But then he's feeling, he, he feels no pain. He does feel that he's inside something. Lo and behold, Michael Packard has been swallowed by a humpback whale. So he was swallowed whole. And of course, you know, we're going to talk about Jonah here in a second, but this is his experience. And so he begins to feel the mouth of the whale squeezing him. So he is getting the impression the whale's trying to swallow him the rest of the way down because he is in his mouth. He is completely engulfed in the opening of his mouth, but he has not gone down through his throat and into his belly yet. So he is realizing what's going on and he's doing everything in his power. You know, he has his air tank on so he can breathe, but he knows that if he gets swallowed, it's game over. So he's doing his very best to try to struggle and work against the powerful muscles drawing him in to the stomach of this humpback whale. And then finally, just as he thinks that, you know, there may not be any hope, the whale surfaces and shoots him out of his mouth. Now, his buddies nearby in a boat watch the whole thing take place. They don't see him. They see him disappear. And then a little further away, they notice a bunch of bubbles start coming up and then out shot Michael through the air back down into the water. And they rescued him. They took him to the hospital, treated him for very minor bruises and whatnot. <laughs> but what a terrifying experience that he was able to recover from. It got me thinking, of course, of the story of Jonah and how Jonah's story is such a powerful story. As you may or may not know, that Jonah was a hero to the Hebrews. And his story is very ancient and involves the city of Nineveh and God speaking to Jonah, God calling Jonah to go and to preach 
judgment upon Nineveh as a result of rejecting God and that he wanted to warn them that judgment was coming for their sins, the evil that they had been practicing. Jonah, of course, doesn't want anything to do with it. And what's interesting is you read the story, Jonah even says this. He says, I know that you're a merciful God. So in essence, what Jonah is saying is I'm just wasting my time doing something that is definitely not, not against your character to forgive them. So Jonah, of course, is unbroken. He's a man who knows of God, but yet to have his will broken, humbled and shaped into the wisdom and the purposes of God for his life. So he tries to flee. And you know the story that he's on the boat and the boat comes into a storm and they're all worried. They suspect that there is something supernatural going on. And they begin to cast lots as to who it is that's bringing the curse upon him. And then finally, Jonah falls to him and Jonah says, yeah, you know, I'm running from God. And and they're like, well, dude, you're the problem. And of course, at first they don't want to dismiss him or get rid of him. But finally in his guilt, Jonah knows that he can't see all these men die for his sin. So they throw him into the water. He acquiesces to what he knows to be the solution. So throws him off the boat. And then Jonah is swallowed by a whale. Now, we don't know what whale swallowed him. You can do a little bit of study on it and find out that there may have been a particular whale that existed at the time that was big enough to swallow a human being. But as we think of Michael Packard and this guy, this guy who almost got swallowed by a humpback whale, I mean, it's possible that that whale could have actually swallowed him whole, in which case then we would have you know, the first modern day experience of a human being being swallowed, but at least one that we know about, right? I mean, Michael's got to be the only guy that I have ever heard of that's been in the mouth of whale and was spit out just like Jonah was. So Jonah is in the belly of the whale though, for three days and three nights. Jesus makes reference to this story when he says, you're looking for a sign, but none will be given to man except the sign of Jonah. And of course, Jesus going into the earth, into the belly of the whale for three days, and then being spit out or rising from the dead would be the message. It would be the sign. But now going back to Jonah, what we have here is a man who was running from God, and he is swallowed in the whale. And in this experience of being swallowed, Jonah is still alive. And so there must have been enough space inside the whale's stomach for him to breathe. And so we don't know, perhaps he couldn't have survived much longer than three days without water or without fresh oxygen. We don't really know. But as the story goes, and Jonah's testimony, that in that time, his heart turns and recognizes that God is God and that he has refused him and that he deserves this. And presumably as a result of his repentance, God has the whale spit him out on the beach. And then Jonah is going to obey the Lord, and he's going to do what God has called him to do, and that's to go to Nineveh. And he does. He goes throughout Nineveh preaching that judgment is coming and that they need to turn back to God. What Jonah didn't realize, although probably suspected that God would relent, and the people did repent. You know, the people repented, God relented, and mercy is shown. So Jonah goes outside the city, and he's waiting to see how God is going to bring judgment upon Nineveh. He's going to wait for the big, awesome display of God's judgment, only to find out that they have repented and they've turned and God is not going to do it. And then there's the last bit with the plant that 
he's grateful for it first, but then is angry because it shrivels and he feels he's going to die from the extreme heat. And a little bit of drama, little drama boy going on with Jonah there. But God catches him. God is going to go after not only his obedience, but his heart. And in the end, what we find is that Jonah recognizes that even though he obeyed God, his heart wasn't fully there. He felt like the Ninevites really deserved judgment. And of course, he would think that way, the Israelites having suffered under the control and the punishing arm of the Ninevites for as long as they did. And so Jonah would have had no natural inclination to want to see mercy be shown to the Ninevites. So when we think about that, we think about what's going on in the world today, and we think about our own lives. You know, as believers, we're often challenged by this desire for judgment. You know, there are days when you just say, well, Lord, how long? How long will it be that, like abortion, will continue without there being some consequences upon our nation for embracing it? Now, of course, we've had some major changes, but they're saying now that elections are going to be determined as a result of a person's stand on abortion. And clearly, America has not turned. America still, even though the Supreme Court gave it back to the states and let each state decide, but it was no longer going to be a federal decision. Of course, a lot of people misunderstand that. And they thought that Supreme Court outlawed abortion. It didn't. It just said that it would no longer be a federal decision. There was no longer going to be federal protections on abortion, but that it was pushed back to each state that could make its own decision. So a lot of uproar over that. So the people's heart really never changed because a politician's stance on abortion is going to determine a lot, as we are now discovering. Well, how about sex trafficking? There's not a lot of talk about that in public, although there certainly is a reason to be concerned about it, because the truth of the matter is sex trafficking and human trafficking is actually absolutely out of control. You may or may not have read this recently, that in Ohio, in the state of Ohio, there are over a thousand children missing right now that have only taken place literally in the last few months. I mean, we've had the missing children thing with the kids on the milk cartons and the different television programs talking about children that have been missing for quite some time. And this has been a problem. And no one's ever really wanted to talk about what's really going on there. No one knows where these children are going. They're just disappearing with no real solution. Are they being taken out of the country? Are they, are they being held against their will for something? We have begun to learn in the last 20 years or so that there are those who have been kidnapping children and brainwashing them or putting them in situations where they have been sold into sexual slavery or even taken overseas, never to be seen again. So we know this is a problem, but you would think that the problem is getting smaller. You've heard of the movie Sound of Freedom, which is, of course, a movie that is calling attention to this. And then this recent happening in Ohio where the article was saying, where are all the children going in Ohio? You're not going to see this or read this on ABC News or NBC or CBS. You're not going to see this, but it is what's happening. And it's a secret shame. And they've got mayors and city leaders and parents, of course, beginning to wonder what on earth is going on. Where are these children going? And you've heard of the fires in Maui. They still don't know how many people are missing from that fire. 
They don't know if they were burned up in the fire or if they left with family members. They're certainly not letting anyone know where they are, even if they had gone with a family member. Some of these people, up to 2,000 people, including children, by the way, are just missing. They can't be accounted for. So what on earth is going on? So we have these kinds of substantial evils that are taking place. And my point was, sometimes when you read about these things and you hear about them, you become disturbed, you become overwhelmed, and you begin, as a believer, you begin to cry out and say, when, Lord, how long will we go before you bring judgment? We're like Jonah sitting outside the city. Some of us feel like we've been talking about this for years. We've been drawing attention to it. We've been talking about it. We've been praying about it. We've been preaching about it. And yet it doesn't seem to be moving. Even though the Supreme Court made its decision, it did not change the hearts of the people. In fact, it caused the people's hearts to become more exposed. And my point being is that even Christians who are trying to defend abortion from some moral standpoint, which I absolutely cannot understand, gets to this place where our hearts are exposed, just like Jonah's heart was exposed. And so my point today is that there is a difference between obeying God and having the heart of God. Obeying God is the first level. It is us coming to the Lord and realizing there are things in our life that need to change. There's behaviors. There is a life course that needs to change. And it's kind of the macro view of our life that cannot continue in order to be in fellowship with God. So this generally happens after we first give our lives to Christ. And it might take place over time, maybe even decades, to where we finally find ourselves in the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God as a result of us surrendering, hence my message last week. So we obey. We begin to look at the Word, and there are basic decisions that we have to make regarding our life course. And then that becoming what it is that God has called us to do, this whole purpose-driven church, this purpose-driven life thing that Rick Warren got the church going on about 30 years ago. And really impacted the church in an amazing way. It helped Christians kind of get out of the fog and realize, you know, you have been created for a purpose. And so the obedience came in to say, okay, I'm going to start living my life according to his purpose. Awesome move. Incredible move. But what we found along the line is that just being obedient to God and doing what God tells us to do doesn't always mean that the heart has changed. For example, you know, when you tell your child to go and take out the trash or to go clean up the yard, go pick up their room. You know, sometimes you can tell when their heart is in it, can't you? You tell them, hey, I want you to go do that. Or even an employee where you say, hey, look, I need you to go do this. And you see that maybe they take a deep breath, you know, or they roll their eyes or they just drag their feet. But you can tell there's no enthusiasm regarding what they've been asked to do. Because why? Their heart is not in it. They don't believe in the project. <laughs> they don't believe that taking out the garbage is a necessary thing. They don't believe that cleaning up their room is a necessary thing. Or doing that little extra work, they don't see it as a part of their job. So just going through the motions, just doing what you're told, or just being obedient to what you're asked or told to do, doesn't necessarily mean the heart has changed. And we can't even make the assumption that continuing to do what is expected of us will eventually change the heart. We can't even think that way. Because changing the heart often requires a little bit of pain. I want to read a quote from C.S. Lewis that I think is just incredible. I uh, read this just yesterday. C.S. Lewis says, 
Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Let me read that again. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So what C.S. Lewis is saying here is that still small voice is something that we all have experienced, and we know the still small voice of God. But sometimes to get our attention, God has to raise up the megaphone, and what does he use? C.S. Lewis is saying that it's pain, that it's struggle. And I basically preaching this message today out of Romans chapter 1 and 2 and into chapter 3, but I won't talk about that. I, I just wanted to point out that God is after our heart. He's not just after our actions. He's not just after our obedience. He wants our heart. He wants our heart in it. And our heart is exposed often through these kinds of things that I have explained already, like abortion and human trafficking and political issues. You know, it's funny how many people can say, you know, I follow Christ, but they don't follow Christ in his ways. They follow Christ in his salvation, but they don't follow Christ in his purity. They don't follow Christ in his humility, in his surrender. And this is exposed in Jonah, isn't it? Because God is not done with Jonah. Jonah has obeyed God and he's preached the gospel. The good news being that God would save them if they would repent. So he was obedient, but he still secretly harbored bitterness toward the Ninevites because what they had done to his people. And God, again, exposes that to say, you cared more about this little plant than you did the thousands of people living in that city. You didn't care about them really at all, did you, Jonah? And Jonah was caught. His, his heart was exposed. But again, to the point that C.S. Lewis made, God uses difficulty and struggle and pain to get our attention. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not really the way I want to be sanctified. That's not the way I want to learn, although I have learned that way over and over again. If you asked me, do I enjoy pain? Have I enjoyed difficulty in my life? I have enjoyed being distraught and at times feeling like, you know, what on earth has happened here? No, I don't enjoy that at all. In fact, I'd rather be to the point where God points out to me where my heart is right off the get-go. To say, God, I want to obey you and do what you tell me to do. And I also want you, God, to fix my heart. Because you and I both know that when God asks us to do something, the reluctance, the deep breathing, the rolling of the eyes, the justification for not doing it or waiting to do it is a revelation. It is a revealing of our heart. And it's at that moment we should be sensitive to say, okay, Lord, I see what's going on here. I know there's a lack of humility. There's a lack of surrender. Paul really hits on it, doesn't he? There in Romans chapter 12, when he says, what is our response to God's great love and favor? It is to be a living sacrifice, to lay our lives completely down. And that means spirit, soul, and body. That means our will. That means our vision for our future. That means our money. That means our relationships. That means my need for attention, my need for significance, my need for security, my need for abundance, 
my need for just being understood at times. We have a lot of needs and God wants to be the one who fulfills these needs, but we can't live our life in this kind of deal making relationship with God. We can't say, Lord, okay, I'll obey you if you will do such and such for me. That's that's the enemy of our souls. That's the way he works. And of course, he doesn't keep his side of the bargain at all, of course. He entraps, snares, and then destroys those people who make deals with him. But God doesn't make deals. God only says, look, if you'll obey me and give me your whole heart, then I will bless you and you will see mighty things happen. So God is after your heart, my friend. God is after all of our hearts today. In this world that we live in, we're living in this type of experience where more and more evil is being exposed and righteousness is also being exposed or the lack thereof. And not here to put myself in any place of judgment, but it is disturbing for me to see people who say that they believe and are obedient in certain parts of their life, but then they go out and they support those things which are directly opposed to the ways of God, overtly. Okay, I'm not going to say that there's any political party that, that represents the kingdom of God at all. I mean, we would have to create a whole new party if that was ever going to be the case. The truth is, there's a lot of deception on both sides of the aisle when it comes to our government. In fact, what they're discovering is that there's a group of people who really are neither party. They're a very evil party, deceiving the rest of the world by controlling everything without really listening to the will of the people. So there it is. But for us, we can't worry about all that. It's for me and my house. I will serve the Lord. It is for your house. It's for my house. It's our decisions. Will we let God change our hearts? To have a heart that is pure, have a heart that is loving and kind, have a heart that cares about people, all people, and wish that they could be saved and not wish that they be judged but wish that they would come to a knowledge of Christ and thus be saved. That's where we need to go, folks. That's where we need to head. And then, of course, all of the other moral absolutes when it comes to deviant sexuality or mistreatment of human beings from the womb to the grave, these are things that we need to be praying and thinking about and, again, represent the heart of God and everything that's happening in the world today. Folks, there's no need for us to get swallowed up by whales and be in a place of containment and struggle and pain for three days, three nights. And then finally, during that pain, we'd be spit out and then say, Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Let's not live that way. Let's listen to God and ask him to help us to be obedient and to have his heart and that we will represent him everywhere we go. And of course, experience the tremendous joy and peace that it is to be surrendered to our Savior. Well, let's finish and let's pray. Lord, I thank you, God, for everyone who is listening today. I pray that, Lord, we would recognize that you want more than just our obedience, but our whole heart. You want our surrender. Lord, you want us to be that living sacrifice that is poured out like a drink offering. Lord, that is used in a way that advances your kingdom. Lord, not advances the things of this world, not tries to be sticking up for a gender or to stick up for a people group, a race, a tribe, a political philosophy. But Lord, to stick up and to stand tall for Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, 
the Holy Spirit working in the earth, holiness, truth, worshiping of the living God and for eternity. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. God bless you folks. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.